Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Hey, good morning, Jamie, and good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Lots to cover is the State of the State address delivered by our governor. Uh, so we're going to jump into that here in just a moment. Coming up at 9.05, frequent guest on the show, Kristen Bentz from KB Advisory Group. Going to talk economy, retail sales over the holiday, get a recap of what she believes happened over the holidays, and kind of a preview of what she thinks is going to be happening in the retail world. Consumer confidence, consumer spending moving into 2023. So that happens at 9.05. Uh, you'll want to be here to catch that for sure. She is such a great guest, full of knowledge. Um, we start off with the State of the State address yesterday as the governor laid out her vision in a very broad way of what she'd like to see happen in the state of Arizona in the next year, addressing the legislature and the citizens of Arizona. Um, so a couple of things. We're going to start off with uh, her talking about her door being open. This is one of the things I liked about the speech is uh, her talking about wanting solutions. Now, what exactly that means, because she also throws in a little bit of this. If you're ready to make real progress on the issues that matter most to the people of this state, then my door will always be open. However, chasing conspiracy theories, pushing agendas for special interests, attacking the rights of your fellow Arizonans, or seeking to further undermine our democracy will lead nowhere. So battle lines are being drawn there for sure. So what will happen? There were some Republicans that walked out. There were some Republicans that turned their back. Is this setting this up to be gridlock and is this setting up to be a major battle? The citizens of Arizona deserve better. So I want to talk about what some of the the main issues were for the governor in her speech. We're going to cover this as, as, as quickly as we can, but I think a lot of it bears, uh, bears talking about. She talked about education being a top issue for her. To Arizona's educators, parents, and students, you know better than anyone that education must be the top issue we tackle. As we work to find solutions, I will always seek and listen to your guidance. All right, so we're going to talk about what she said in the um, about the spending cap for education. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's listen to some of the other things she said about education, saying that she's going to stand up for teachers. One in four teachers leave Arizona schools each year, which is the highest rate in the nation. As a result, more than 2,500 classroom educator positions are vacant. As the sister of two public school teachers, I see how hard they work every day on behalf of their students. So to the teachers and education support professionals of our state, I see you, I respect you, and I will always stand up for you. So there are a couple of things here, as she, she, and we're going to get to about teacher retention in just a moment. There has been a, a bit of a shift here in uh, what we saw in the last administration, during the Ducey administration. Uh, the focus was on parents and parental control in schools, as we saw a shift in tax dollars being able to be controlled by parents. That seemed to be the focus. And if you look at what's happened in education over the last few years, this shift was not just in the governor's office. There have been a lot of parents across the state of Arizona and across Across this country that have run for school board positions because they didn't like what was happening with the school boards dictating the way they were and some of the things that were being taught in schools. So setting up the battle lines now, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, there are going to be debate lines here. 
are we moving back here now where teacher organizations are going to be seeking more control or are they going to get more control? Because I want you to hear what she says about an, about educator retention. I'll be launching an educator retention task force to develop a thorough framework and make recommendations to improve class sizes, resources, working conditions, and other factors that will put us on a path to fix these issues and retain educators. The reality is we don't have an educator shortage. What we have is a retention crisis. So let's address this from a couple of different angles. First of all, the idea that this is just about money is not true. And it also is about the things that are being taught in school. The other side of the coin here, and and I hope people will take this into consideration. There are many teachers that were thankful for some of the changes that were made during the Ducey administration. That there are a lot of teachers out there that do not want to be politicized in the classroom. They don't want curriculum in their classroom that they're being forced to teach or forced to learn that has nothing to do with the subject matter that they're trained for. If you're a math teacher, there are many math teachers that want to teach math. There are a lot of teachers out there that do not want to be involved in politics whatsoever, whatever their political leanings are. And I'm going to go back to 2018 and the Red Fred movement for just a moment. Um, If you're new to Arizona, the Red Fred movement was very strong in Arizona and I think worthwhile, to be very honest with you. At its its beginning, uh, teachers, um, you know, with the the crash of the economy that happened in 08 when we saw Arizona having to make dramatic cuts all across the board, um, education had suffered a lot of losses in funding including teacher pay. And so teachers wanted a raise. And uh, the teacher organizations, AEA, AEU, ended up being called Red for Ed. They say they were two different things, but they absolutely were not. Um, the, the movement went to the governor and said, we want a raise. So the governor said, yes. Now, all of this is true. It's all backed up by fact. The governor said, yes, you're going to get a raise. This is Governor Ducey. And he went to the legislature. He talked to education leaders around the state, and they came up with the plan to give a 20% raise over three years and allocate that money to the district. Now, to be fair, the money was allocated. Whether or not the school districts individually gave the money to the teachers, that was up to the districts. But a 20% increase was included over a three-year period for teachers. In spite of that, the teachers went on strike anyway, which they're not allowed to do. They did things called a sick out. They were organized calling in sick plans and about 70,000 plus teachers showed up at the state capitol and marched on the state capitol. So they had a huge groundswell of support from parents, from teachers, from fellow teachers and from students. That has dwindled down to almost nothing when they show up for events now. And the reason why, in my mind, is that it has become so overtly political. And many teachers were just there and wanted their voices heard. They wanted to be heard that they wanted to raise. And they got what they were asking for. And I I thought it was a great thing. I'll be honest with you. Teachers deserve to raise. Just like I say, if you want to retain police officers, you got to pay them. you got to treat them with respect. The same thing goes for teachers. But the teacher organizations, in my estimation, went too far. You know, they would do red Wednesdays. You had to wear red on Wednesdays in the school. If you were a teacher, they wanted you to wear red to show a sign of solidarity with other with the teacher organizations on Wednesdays. And if you didn't, they were tattling on you inside, not to the school principal, but to the unions, to the teacher organizations. You were not seen as a team player. 
You know, things like that, just little things that just made it overtly political and uncomfortable. Teachers were harassed, and that, that absolutely happened. Some of the curriculum that is put in schools, teachers don't want to teach. So there is an element of both here. There are teachers that are saying we're, our classroom sizes are too big. We're not getting paid enough. There are also teachers that are saying we don't want to teach politics. We'll go teach at a charter school. We'll take less money to teach at a private school. We'll go somewhere else where we can teach the subject matter we're trained for. There's an element of that in here, too. But it's the funding conversation by the governor. I want you to hear as she talks about funding for public schools. Uh, this is the part that I think is important. Currently, our state government distributes additional per pupil funding based on school letter grades and assessment results. This approach has largely benefited only schools in high wealth areas of Arizona's two largest counties, Maricopa and Pima, while leaving rural and economically struggling areas behind. To address this inequity, my budget redirects the $68.6 million for that program to the base support level, which goes to all schools across our state instead. So instead of, again, schools being uh, rewarded for excellence, it is going back to the funding the way it was before, as opposed to rewarding excellence. This is where I think it's like a participation trophy. And I agree with you that rural areas, the schools need to make sure that they're doing a good job. We need to make sure education is available. But the schools need to be held to a higher standard. You you know, I know it's a silly analogy, but the Arizona Cardinals have – had a an abysmal year and the head coach was fired was this all on the on the shoulders of the head coach probably not their injuries played a role in it there's other things that went on but leadership is held to as held accountable for results and that's the way the NFL stays excellent that's why they are a premier juggernaut of an organization and because there is a requirement of excellence and we don't see that we we don't see that push with schools where you are held to a standard where there is a punishment where there is accountability when you aren't making the grade we all have to acknowledge i think we should all acknowledge that wherever you stand on the issue the schools in arizona are not doing their job far too many children well under 50% of children are not reading a grade level in the 3rd grade far too many children well under 50% are not performing math skills at the 8th grade level in the 8th grade We are failing these kids for their future. And that system is the problem. So how you fix it is what is is a way you can talk about. That's something to be discussed. But we all should agree it needs to be repaired dramatically and quickly. And I just wonder, I just wonder if that's the direction we're really going. There's more on this. We're going to keep going. We're going to talk about the economy and some of the other things that the governor talked about as she laid out her vision for the state of Arizona. And we'll get to those important issues coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Governor Katie Hobbs yesterday gave her State of the State address or really laid out her vision. She's going to come out with a plan, I believe, on Friday in more detail. But this was the vision of what she would like to see happen in the next year in the state of Arizona, talking to the legislature, citizens of Arizona. We covered education a great deal. Before we move off of that, how about the school spending cap? I want you to hear a couple of things 
that the governor had to say about that. Before we talk about steps we'll take to improve K-12 education going forward, we must first address the potential catastrophe that will happen in just a few months if the legislature does not act to address the archaic funding cap, officially known as the aggregate expenditure limit, by March 1st. So um, let's talk about this for just a moment. It it has become a political football and it's going to remain a political football, I believe. Um, And and in reality, the Republicans know this. Some of the holdout Republicans know this, that it is political suicide not to vote for this in the end. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to get some concessions to some of the things that they want in order to do it. That's what politics is. But look at this for what it is. This was passed by ballot initiative back in the 1980s. The voters passed this, which means it takes a two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate to override it. Now, they're going to temporarily override it. I don't know that there's going to be a piece of legislation that will be voted on with a two-thirds majority that will permanently override it. We'll see if that happens. That would be the ideal situation to be able to move forward with all of the spending and education. But just about what it is on its face, this is why I am not a fan of our propositional form of government because what is good today may not be good 30 or 40 years down the road. And these things stand in the way. So on its face, before we get into what it's all about, that to me is the big issue with propositions. It ties the hand of the legislature to do what's right at a future date. I don't think there's many legislators over there that don't believe that that money that's already allocated for education should be in the classroom. They do. But here we are stuck with a vote for two-thirds majority. The governor had to address it in her first address to the state legislature. And here's what she says. This is the fallout for the AEL if it's not if it's not changed. We must make this right. If we do not, this ticking time bomb will explode and force a $1.3 billion cut that would be one of the largest in our state's history. And it will happen in the last two months of the school year. Superintendents and education leaders are warning this will cause furloughs, layoffs, and possibly even school closures. Absolutely true. She's 100% right. The fact that we're there, the fact that this is happening, is because of these propositions. Now, in the early 1980s, I wasn't here. Many of you were. But I don't know if this was a good idea back in the 80s. Maybe this was something that was good for Arizona. Maybe it was good for the uh, budgetary process. Maybe it was good for the way we spend money in Arizona. But it isn't in the 21st century. And it is not something that has simply changed. This is why the propositional form of government raw democracy doesn't work. Now it takes two-thirds majority from the representative republic we have in order to fix it. Just one more indication of why the propositional form of government is a lazy form of government, and it's coming back to bite us in a very, very, very big way. A couple of other things I want you to hear uh, uh, the governor talked about. Um, She uh, is talking about ending the sales tax on necessities. Um, Here's just a couple of examples. We will also help lower costs for Arizona families by exempting diapers and feminine hygiene products from our state sales tax. 
so, uh, you know, a small item there to a lot of people, but this is just some of the steps the governor's taking, some changes that will happen uh, uh, that the governor wants to get done. She talked about the border. Um, she talked about abortion. Uh, very quickly, a couple of things she had to say about the, bo- about the border. Speak to leaders in border communities and across our state, and it's clear they need real solutions after decades of failed leadership by both parties. We must take a holistic, realistic, and humane approach to help solve this issue. That means supporting sheriffs and local law enforcement in impacted communities. And it also means supporting community centers and hospitals. I am encouraged by the White House's recent actions to finally visit the border and to start proposing real steps to begin addressing the problems of the current system. And while optimistic, I will also continue to push Congress to do its job and pass comprehensive immigration reform. What I didn't really hear her address was the border strike force. Now, the border strike force was something that was created by the previous governor. It's something that was so successful here that it had spread to other states and other states working together, other border states with a border strike force where DPS had troopers and assets assigned to help local law enforcement enforce local laws when they are being overwhelmed. Um, the enormity of this also, I think, can't be overlooked when it comes to law enforcement. The local law enforcement down in the border towns in southern Arizona are outmanned and outgunned. And that is a scary proposition. Uh, hearing stories from officers, and I've heard it from Pinal County with the Vico Valley, you know, because that isn't necessarily on the Mexican border, but, you know, it borders the Tohana Odom Nation, and that's where people come through that uh, that tribal land and then make their way into Pinal County. It happens there, and it happens in other places where you're listening to radio chatter as a U.S. law enforcement agent, as a sheriff's deputy or as a, as a city police officer, and you're on the border, and you're listening as there is chatter where people that are lookouts up on the mountains, up on the uh, up uh, up high, are giving people your location. You hear them talking about you. You with reconnaissance. So this is happening on our southern border, and it's a reason why some of the statewide assets like the Border Strike Force is absolutely necessary down on the border. There's a lot more to get to this morning of what the governor had to say. We're going to talk about the abortion issue, more on the border, the economy, things of that of that nature. It was a, it was a, you know, a broad speech, and it wasn't in a lot of detail, but it did lay out some of her plans. Coming up in a moment, it's Gatos in the BQ poll question of the day, so stick around. The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. You and I should buy a house together. Really? Well, apparently there's a new trend in the Valley. People who are, are not married, mm-hmm. who are friends, yep. buy a house together and live together. Huh. Yeah. Here's the cue. Pretty interesting. A non-traditional trend uh, to buy a home is sweeping the valley. Folks are buying a home with a friend or relative, someone who is not a spouse. Is that a good idea? Yes or no? Because homes are expensive. uh, And... People maybe, you know, uh, decide, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll go into it with a coworker. We'd be maybe the I'll odd buy a house with uh, my brother. Maybe I'll do, yeah. Yeah, we'd be the odd couple. We would be totally the odd couple. Yes, I'd be Oscar yeah. Madison for sure. Well, I'm not neat. You're not? Uh, no, gosh, that's, that's no. Surpri- uh, that surprises me. 
No, I'm not. I'm not awfully messy, uh, but no, I'm not. I don't need everything. I'll tell you. Want you want to know? Can I tell you a story? Sure, let's hear it. Okay. At the end of every year, I clean my desk. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of papers on the desk, and you know, I kind of know where everything is, but it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a mess. Huh. Uh, one year, I found a, uh, this very strange. It was a black piece of wood. It was under everything, and it was very thin. Mm-hmm. It was a banana. Nice. Banana got lost on my desk for over a year, and it and it and that's what it turned into. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not the no, I'm not the neatest person. But okay. are you a slob? No, I'm not a slob. I'm kind of like you. I, I'm not a neat freak, but I'm I don't think I'm a slob. Okay, like you're not going to have like cups and glasses near the TV and all that kind of and dishes, and then there's crust on them because I can't live with you if, you, if you're going to be like no, that. No, I, you, you know, know I, I have. I'll be honest. I have like water bottles on my nightstand. You know, like I'll, I'll bring one in and I'll set it yeah. down, and then I'll bring one in again. So there's probably three or four half full water bottles <laughs> on my nightstand. Isn't it a bit dangerous though if you're buying a house with a friend or a relative? Yes. It's I don't that just it's so untraditional. It just makes me uncomfortable. It just doesn't sound right cuz I don't know. You could you could just get up and leave and just right. say, "Okay, I'm going to rent out my side. I don't like you anymore." And you can put somebody in the house that nobody that that person doesn't even know. Right. We're not buying a house together. Okay. All right. All right. I was right. I was in it for a minute. Now I guess um, we're you know no maybe when we're old. You know, know, let maybe me, we're let me that, tell you something. I'm already we're that old. old couple. I'm already huh? old. No, you're fine. All right. You're fine. You sound young. That's all that matters. Right. Great, Gatos. Thanks. I appreciate you. All right. See you, buddy. <laughs> That's Gatos, the BQ poll question of the day, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Just go to KTAR.com. You can vote and see how other people voted as well. Just after 9 o'clock, we are going to speak with Kristen Bentz, KB Advisory Group. We're going to talk economy. How did the holidays do for spending? What does she see happening in the first part of the year? How is it going to affect the average consumer. We'll get to it in just a moment.